0: Hello and welcome to The Bigger Issue where we're tracking the first 100 days of Rishi Sunak's Premiership. Today is the 28th day of Rishi Sunak's Premiership and I'm joined by uh, Zach Michaelis, TLDR's Editor-in-Chief. How are you doing, Zach?
1: I'm doing very well, Ben. How are you? How was your your holiday?
0: It's good. Yeah, it was was nice. It wasn't very plugged into politics. Today's going to be an interesting episode.
1: Did you enjoy that? Yeah, it was actually quite nice being away from it for a little while. I I saw the statement. First, like an hour or two of anxiety and then you sort of settle into it.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's sort of when the Breaking news notifications come up and you don't read them. That's mm. when you know you're doing well. Um, so I missed the the statement last last week. So we should probably talk about that a little bit and the uh, what what's happened with what's happened with that, what the backlash has been. I hear that not everybody's happy.
1: Well, I think we could talk about it. Let's talk about it briefly because we did cover it in more detail on our last podcast, which you know, go have a watch if you want to know more. But um, the, the broad outlines are that it was a, it was a remarkably progressive budget by by conservative standards um and in terms of tone it was it was sold in, in very similar language to osborne's sort of cameron austerity mm. so it was all about sort of the fact that we, we've borrowed too much money we can't afford very much all these departments are gonna have to see cuts most of the cuts are delayed until after 2024 um hunt basically got away with that by saying that his his fiscal target was to make sure that debt as a percentage of gdp was falling by the end of the five-year cycle so it doesn't have to fall immediately. It only has to fall by the end of five years, which means that basically it rises from about 85% today up to like 967 by 2025 and then drops just a couple of basis points to 963 by the end of 2028. Um, it's interesting because I think, as you mentioned just there, no one really liked the budget. Uh, again, I, I still think it was a, a relatively progressive budget by, by conservative standards, but the right-wing press didn't like it because the Daily Mail said it was to to adversely affecting um well basically working people and the implication being that it was too generous to benefit claimants um the obviously the left-wing press just just saw it as a sort of austerity 2.0 which to be fair it it sort of is i think hunt would say that he doesn't really have the time or political space to engage in a more comprehensive reform of, of the uk economy but that's you know that's that's what he'd say no one really cares um and, yeah, and I think that's that's the main takeaway here is that, is that no one really liked it. And I guess that's sort of, in some sense, unsurprising, given that it is preceding what is expected to be the steepest decline in living standards in, in modern history. So I just think the, the takeaway there, I guess, is that you just, it's, you just can't sell that, you know?
0: It is remarkable as well that we've spent so much of this year getting to a point that we sort of expected would happen six, seven, eight months ago, that when the leadership election was happening, it seemed a lot of the debate was about energy price cap, how that would be funded. Um, there was some debate about windfall tax versus borrowing. And we've sort of wasted a We've now had two leadership elections to get to a point that we sort of should have been in a number of months ago. Yeah, I think you're um, right. Yeah. It's, it's a remarkable state of affairs that this is, that this, this is what's happened. Um, but, you know, I'm not too surprised that there was such backlash from the right wing of the Conservative Party. They almost got a taste of what they wanted with Liz Truss. They got a little bit of a taste of their sort of politics. And that, unfortunately, for them, didn't didn't really work out.
1: Yeah, I thought that, I would have thought that would have mitigated it, though. Do you know what I mean? I would have thought that the, the trust experience, the fact that that went so badly, would have given Hunt maybe a bit more political space because mm. he can say, sure, while well, you might not like tax rises in theory, clearly there aren't any other options because trust tried to cut taxes and, and the markets kicked him in the face um but it's the same i would say it's it's equitable to on the, on the left when you have really left-wing
0: leaders get in they always blame things like them oh well it would have worked if it wasn't for the media etc 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 and we've sort of seen exactly the same on the right now with liz just getting to go oh well it, it wasn't hey it was the markets it was this that and the yeah, other that yeah, it, it didn't work for um but yeah sorry I no <laughs> no that. i
1: think i think we've covered it basically i think the main interesting takeaway there is just like how just how unenthusiastic the reaction was to it. And Mm. I I just, I guess, uh, so I sort of thought there'd be maybe more positive commentary from what you might describe as like the center of the media spectrum. I thought people would be going like, oh, you know, it's good that, for example, he's taxing the highest earners and he's going ahead with a windfall tax and he's protecting benefits. Um, But in the end... It's just too crap. Everything is just too crap to really muster any enthusiasm. Like you just, you know, no matter how it's targeted. At the end of the day, we're all going to see a drop in our living standards. We're all going to see, you know, probably pretty significant inflation. And ultimately, when the the energy support gets cut down, pretty high fuel bills. So, mm. yeah, I guess I guess Hunt's sort of stuck there. He can't he can't really sell that to anyone. Well, I suppose on the, on just to spin it positively before we move on,
0: um, at least although this is being viewed as negative um a negative budget from sunak isn't crashing the pound it isn't leading to calls him yeah. to resign it isn't you know all of the other things that happen with this just so it's a you know there are some positives here at least it seems that we've got a bit more of a stable government um at the minute
1: yeah no i, I agree but again it's interesting they get didn't get any credit for that i mean so no. fair enough like Outside of the context of trust, you don't really give chancellors credit for not crashing the pound. (laughs) No, that's true. But still, you see what I mean?
0: Yeah, I almost shouldn't be giving them credit.
1: This should be be the standard. Trust should set the bar so low. So
0: low, yeah. Um, Well, anyway. it hasn't gone down as badly as it once yeah, did. Okay, so, sure. Yeah, There's been some other stuff going on this week as well. There's been some speculation of um, the Conservative Party potentially pursuing a Swiss-style uh, Brexit. Obviously, there was speculation about that and they immediately said, we're obviously not doing that. Yeah. And it seems very unlikely that would ever happen. What um, I think is quite
1: interesting about that is how how convinced so the times broke the story but how convinced the times were of their source so they I can't remember the precise language but it wasn't just a senior source it was like you know just uh, an infallible source something along those lines Um, which does suggest that it came from high up um, and possibly probably in cabinet to be honest with you Um, And I think that the one thing for at will be that clearly someone in cabinet is briefing that we're going to soften Brexit. And clearly within cabinet, there is a a strong divide over how to approach the issue of Brexit. Um, And I think this is just like, this is a downstream consequence of of the way the macroeconomic headwinds are blowing. Like, we all know that UK growth is pretty miserable. And the most obvious way to, to increase growth, at least according to the economists and the economic models, which are, you know, they're probably the best arbiter on this sort of thing. Um, is to align some of our regulations with the EU, get back into the habit of trading with, you know, the biggest trading block in our geographical periphery. But
0: where do you think this Swiss-style thing came from? Because there's a lot of different ways that you could realign with the European Union in ways that are probably more likely than the Swiss approach, because they,
1: well, I- they've got quite a unique relationship yeah, yeah, the the European Union, Union. To, to put it lightly yeah um for a bit of context uh obviously the the oh, straight down the camera um the, the context the um the, the eu and switzerland have a a very very complicated relationship that relies on literally in excess of 100 bilateral agreements um i think it must have began developing really in earnest in the 90s and they, they've just sort of added to it non-stop since there are sort of two separate packages one's called bilaterals one and there's bilaterals two and then i think there's some third treaty but um anyway they the 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 relationship is really really complicated and it's it's mediated by a whole load of very intricate agreements um and yeah it took thirty years for them to to negotiate so I think the reason though that people are going well that whoever is talking about this was was going for Switzerland is because it's sort of sufficiently close to EU to reap some of the economic benefits but S- the Switzerland is is clearly not in the EU do you see what I mean like mm. it I think the idea here was that it was supposed to be sufficiently close to the EU to reap some of the economic benefits but also sufficiently far away, sufficiently independent to to keep the Brexiteers happy. Clearly, that hasn't worked uh, and the Brexiteers are not happy. But no. um, yeah, whoever was pitching that is a bit naive to think that they would be. The only other thing I think is quite interesting is that when I was talking about the infallible source, I've just been reminded, you know, Fraser Nelson is at the Telegraph. Yeah, He thinks, and he's probably quite you know, he's quite well connected in this respect. He thinks it was probably Jeremy Hunt briefing that, which would be pretty wild. if, that Yeah, wild. if the Chancellor's briefing against the Prime Minister, because a day later, Sunak went to the CBI and said, there's no way we're pursuing this.
0: It is, I always find the relationship between the Chancellor and the Prime Minister quite a, a strange one, because they should theoretically be... The most aligned people in politics, considering you're heading the government and heading the country's money, he should sort of see eye to eye a lot. But they, they, you know, in the last few years, we see that they really, really often don't. Yeah. Um, but no, that that would be. I mean, we've seen, as I've already said, we've seen in the last few years that they've they've often not always seen eye to eye. But for that, for him to be briefing that, that would be. That would be phenomenal if that was the case
1: yeah i think i think you mentioned about how you know there's often some divergence between chancellors and prime ministers is a function of the fact that for, for quite a long time now we've had very politically weak prime ministers mm. um with maybe the exception of johnson but like this is i again i think this is more a symptom of the fact that you know, while Sunak has done a relatively good job of unifying the party, he is still politically weak, at least by historical standards. And clearly, Hunt, or whoever it is in the cabinet, feels comfortable briefing against him, or not briefing against him, but briefing without his permission.
0: Do you think there's something more underhanded going on here? Because presumably Hunt must know that it would be ridiculously difficult to get a Swiss-style agreement with the EU, one that they would consent to as well, Oh yeah, and that yeah. he's briefing this for some other purpose to try and Maybe show other people within
1: cabinet that he has some level of authority or undermine Sunak
0: or god knows what else yeah
1: i wouldn't put it past them i mean if anything the last how many years taught us anything is that politicians are really petty yeah so it could i mean it could be that i it's sort of redundant to speculate well, on the psychological motives
0: there's another individual here that we haven't mentioned that is uh, quite involved in this whole swiss uh ah, talk, very sweet there? segue mr uh, nigel farage, uh, nigel farage. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah he's reared up again he seems to sort of crop up in the news cycle then go into sort of hiatus for a few years Yell at some migrants on a coast, yeah. and then sort of He's
1: come sort of like a Michael Bublé of politics. <laughs> he is, he's yeah, just back seasonal. on an annual basis. Exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So his little hiatus is over. He wants a little bit more, presumably, cash and airtime. Yeah. He's so he's too. found a new a new thing that he's yelling about, which is yeah. uh, which is this. Yeah. So do you want right. to do you want to briefly run through what
1: he's been uh, yelling about? Um, no, I think that he's always yelling about something. But you're mm. right; he has been yelling more than more than he usually does about this. I mean, you can get a sense of how much Nigel Farage is yelling just by going through his Twitter and just yeah. sort of seeing what he's, what he's on about. Um, and I, he said so last, like sort of month or so, he's been sort of at least alluding to the idea that he might get reinvolved in politics. You know, he's been making sort of like slightly veiled threats. In a cartoonishly villainy way you know Very what i mean so.
0: it's, it's when he, he resigned from ukip about seven
1: times <laughs> yeah yeah so i don't <laughs> really trust him and it's always that i don't want to come back into politics but if i have to yeah you know yeah um but he he said in the most i think when that was announced when the swiss star rumors first came out he put up a thing on his twitter um saying uh, i think it's the most explicit threat he's made so far saying that i will i will personally make sure that the Conservatives lose worse than they did in May 2019, which was the European elections, um, if um, if they go for a quote-unquote Brexit in name only, mm. um, which is, I think, the clearest indicator yet that Nigel Farage is considering a return to politics. And I think that should just really terrify the shit out of the Tories because they're already doing pretty miserably. I mean, we covered this in our last, latest video, so a little plug. Um, but the Tories are on to like 25%, Labour's still on high 40s, That sort of gap would translate to, you know, they're only winning like maybe 100 seats at the next general election. On top of that, history suggests that usually your poll numbers decline over time. So you've got two years of more decline, probably accelerated by the fact that we're going to live through the worst economic situation in in modern history. And then on top of that, you have the prospect of of Nigel Farage getting back in the mix and scooping up all those voters to the right of you.
0: But this is the thing with all of it. And this happened with the Brexit party as well, which is that... I can understand why the Conservatives are scared by this, because uh, him running could split the right of the vote and just make it even worse for them and make them lose seats that they might have won had Nigel Farage not stood. But from Nigel Farage's perspective, that only fragments the right and means that the left are more likely to win... A majority that Labour are more likely to form a government in the next election. What What's his? What do you think his best case
1: outcome here really is? Because uh, it's <laughs> not him forming a majority, Nigel Farage government, is it? It depends how sane you think Nigel Farage is. I mean, like, plausibly, he's got a sufficient. I mean, I don't want to start dissing Nigel Farage because I don't actually know him, and he might well be a nice bloke. Maybe that's a bit too too side. do not really care if he's a nice bloke. But I, 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 yeah, I, I, Anyway, I don't think it's, I don't want to, I don't want to be dunking on him psychologically, but like mm. the. I think, plausibly, he, he could be thinking that, actually, he he might win a fair few seats in the next election. He could think that, actually, the Tories are so weak. And, frankly, while there is a you know, Labour command the support of a plurality of voters, that support is pretty shallow. And recent voting behaviour does suggest that voters are, are ha- more happy than they used to be to switch alliances. Um, so he could be thinking, maybe, if he runs a successful campaign, you know, that there is an appetite for some sort of new party and he... He might be able to pick up on that. Alternatively, he could just be doing it because A, gets some mm-hmm. airtime and B, he could just kill the Tory party. And that might well be something he wants to do. You know, like I feel like his relationship with the Tory party has deteriorated since the good old balmy days of Boris Johnson. And he doesn't he doesn't like this new sort of establishment Tory base or whatever you might describe. I think
0: there's this. sort of two things on this. The first one is that if Farage was to do that, his best opportunity was with the Brexit party when Brexit wasn't being, nothing was being done with it in the sort of 17, 18, 19 sort of hiatus period. And that never, that never happened. Like there was the EU elections where the Brexit party won a lot of seats, but they never really won any in, in, in the UK parliament. And that was, that was, it, you know, UKIP were largely responsible for that. Nigel Farage was basically Mr Brexit. I don't think he would have, he, he, he will ever have as good an opportunity to do well in westminster than in that brexit period yeah but he tried in that brexit period that's the point there
1: so mm-hmm. why wouldn't try again sure the opportunity might not be quite as good but it's i think also it's, the electoral maths is different this time around because at that time the, the labor candidate was obviously corbyn which just yeah, wasn't as popular whereas now you really could nick because obviously the fact that corbyn was there meant that the tories had a, a better chance of keeping a lot of those tory labor seats that they're, they're competing with um, and actually, frankly, a lot of the Tory Lib Dem seats because the Lib Dem voters were worried about letting Corbyn in. So I think he'll be thinking, you know, now, well, he'll be thinking now that Starmer's there and, and the Tory party is less popular than it ever was, he might well be able to nick a few previously Tory seats.
0: Do you So akin to how the Liberal Democrats do in by-elections, as in, you know, they're, they're not your primary party that you'd go with, but you almost vote for them as a protest.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, they would be in some sense a protest party. They're definitely an anti-establishment mm, no. party. I also think that actually one of the things is, is that there is a real political space opening up for them. Um, I think the Brexit one is the most obvious one. Yeah, the, bre- the, I, the Brexit thing, clearly there is some appetite for a softer Brexit amongst certain factions of the Tory party, just because they recognise that it'll actually improve growth. I mean, even Liz Truss looked like at the beginning of her premiership, there there were reports that she was considering a softer Brexit because she was so myopically focused on increasing growth rates. And, and the data does suggest that that's a really good way of doing it. Um, but as well as the Brexit stuff, immigration is ticking back up the agenda. There's some polling to suggest that more and more voters care about it. And, and that's in part because the Toys have just failed to get a lid on the, what Nigel Farage calls, the small boats crisis. Um and then they're, they're a new deal with France. I don't know if you saw this, but they've got a new deal to yeah, increase yeah. security on the French um coast. It's unlikely to do anything. I mean, we've had similar deals in the past, they don't really do anything. It's just frankly like policing the whole French border. It's a very long coastline, it's quite hard to mm. stop them. Um so I think immigration is another place where clearly he's he's gonna he's gonna try and make his mark. And then there's the net zero stuff. Again, while the vast majority of the UK public does support net zero. That support is conditional. Polling suggests that actually some of them are quite reluctant. You know, a significant fraction, sort of 30%, are quite reluctant if it increases, like, their gas price and that sort of thing. Um, and Sunak has firmly committed to net zero, which means that there's space for some sort of net zero skeptic, um, like Farage, to the right of the Conservatives. And then finally, on tax, because, the, as I just mentioned, Jeremy Hunt's autumn statement was quite progressive. You know, it mm. was quite sort of Keir Starmer, Tony blair um, you know, higher rates of tax. The tax burden is the highest it's been in a very, very long time. It's not that higher by OECD averages, but it's, it's pretty high. Um, and there's clearly a space for what you might describe as a sort of, you know, classically liberal, low tax, um, well, basically economically right wing party. Um, and I think that those those four areas, you've got Brexit, immigration, sort of net zero, and actually low tax, that's a whole lot of political space to the right of the Tory party that's opened up.
0: I, I completely agree with all that. My, my only thing is, is that the likelihood of him either, because they're more... All of those are distinct from the Conservative Party, as you've already explained, they are yeah. further right of the Conservative Party, but they are close to the Conservative Party, specifically on things like immigration, than the Labour Party. And you have to get so much support before you actually start helping those causes, rather than detracting from them through just the, the the Westminster style of vote, you know, the constituency oh, yeah, system. Yeah, of course. So so yeah. the, the likelihood of him actually doing anything
1: good for any of those causes <laughs> is base is so close to zero. Yeah, but I think you, this is obviously true. But this is this has always been true whenever UKIP has run. I mean, yeah, they're they're a pressure group, and it doesn't really, they don't really care about what their actual impact is on the electoral maths. They're mm. just a sort of a pressure group posturing as a political party. And the best way for pressure group to be effective is to be a political party. Yeah. So, okay. so they'll just sort of. You know, sure. I, I agree with you. If, if if Nigel Farage did set up a new, or even rejoin,ed Reform UK, who, by the way, are currently polling on according to some polls, eight percent, which is the highest they've ever polled. Mm. If he did set up a new right wing outfit or join Reform UK and, and turn it into a proper like right wing alternative to the Tories, um, yeah, I think the net impact in twenty twenty four would be a massive Labour majority. It'd be enormous Labour majority. I can't see it being anything else. Mm. But that doesn't mean i don't like it's about changing attitudes over the longer term. and also than... it might not even be that rational it might just sort of be like there is political space i'm gonna fill it you know okay. that's what i do um and and it will get me a whole lot of media attention and it will further my career as a gb news broadcaster yeah. so you know yeah. that that's that's another way of looking at it and you know these sort of things politics more generally i think is it's often it's often futile to try and reduce it down to electoral incentives like it's 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 more about representing the cause or representing that wing of popular thought. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I just
0: when you're a political party, your primary focus is achieving power. That's like the, the, main, the but main, definitely not of if a you're for No, yeah. but this is what I'm saying. So that's why I'm trying to look at it through that lens. Because if you are starting a party that is distinct from a pressure group, yeah, yeah the, I the see parties, what you mean. The, the, the purpose of standing candidates in elections are to win those elections, and I just can't see for hours doing that. But I understand that his motives may you know, despite starting a party, are probably more to do with representing the cause and ideology, et cetera. But as you say, it's certainly an interesting
1: point, nonetheless, and we'll have to see... uh (laughs) <laughs> this goes. Down no, that's the next a election. classic
0: Ben Ending. Well,
1: <laughs> well absolutely. And then, can I say one last thing? Absolutely. Um, the last thing is that I there there has been some polling done on this specifically. I think we just should just mention because often when we're talking about these sort of distant hypotheticals, mm. and, and for now Farage's return to frontline politics is a distant hypothetical. It just seems a bit well. It just seems a bit pointless because like it's not happened. while we are talking about it? But there has been some polling done on the specific question. Um, it was done for the uh, Times, all the Telegraph, by Public First. Um, And it suggested that 40% of Conservative voters would, quote, consider voting for a Nigel Farage Mm. party, which is just an astonishing number. So this might be a hypothetical, but I think it's worth talking about because it's clear that, especially within the Tory voting base, there is uh, an appetite for uh, Farage-style politics. Just
0: before we end as well, I just want to uh, um, ask one more question as well. The Conservative Party are in quite a difficult position at the minute. They've they've been tearing themselves apart ideologically over personality, whether they're libertarian, whether they're more sort of, Rishi Sunak back as Boris Bacchus, etc. Um, if Farage does come back, do you think that his intention in the longer term, I know you've already said that it could be to try and kill the Conservative Party effectively. How likely do you think that is? Not in the next election, but over the next God knows how long. Well, how likely do you think years? it is? I don't know. I, it's difficult because some parties are confined to the back benches for long periods of time and come back. Labour, in you know, under Thatcher, were out of power, and Major were out of power for nearly twenty years. And but how they many seats
1: did they? How how strong a presence did they have on the back benches at the time?
0: Um, not particularly. I mean, eighty three particularly was their worst election since thirty five. Like but, they had a, the, 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 in, in electoral in terms of seats.
1: So I don't how, know. how many do you think? It must be in the hundreds. They're hundred yeah, minimum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the relevant difference, isn't it? Is that we've been dominated by a two party system for so long that even a terrible result. I don't know anything about history, so eighty three. Mm. I'll take your word for it you still had a massive presence on the backbenchers. You were still formally the opposition. Um, Whereas we're now in a slightly different political universe. You know, we now have the SNP as an electoral force, Mm -hmm. obviously up in Scotland. Um, You have maybe arguably the Lib Dems and you might have Nigel Farage as a new party. So I think that the the difference here is that if the Tories did lose really, really badly, if they were squeezed by Starmer to the left of them and then Farage to the right, um, which is just very possible... You know, they could end up with with far fewer than 200 seats. You know, even at the moment, they're only looking they're looking at less than 200 seats. You know, mm. if, we, if we take those numbers that they're currently polling on, so 50% for Labour, 25% for Tories, put them in on the on the map, that would that would translate to less than 200 seats. If you add in a Farage contingent. You could be looking at less than 100 seats you could be looking at sort of like 50 you know even trust in her worst polling days she was looking at less than 20 seats yeah yeah so i remember I, it's i mean it's hard to imagine but i think there's also this sort of like it's hard to imagine in part because it's that's this is the way british politics has been for eternity we've had the toys and we've had labor um and there's a sort of like copernican principle that like we're just not that it's been so long been like that for so long it can't change but i do think it's worth looking at the european experience and realising that while it might feel that way, the evidence across the continent suggests that actually even very established parties, if one really terrible electoral result, can properly wipe them out. You know, I think the best example of this is the socialists in France, and actually Les Républicains, who, who've sort of had a resurgence, but they they did struggle. And then obviously, as we mentioned in our most recent video, basically any party in Italy, especially after the, the massive political crisis of the 90s. Um, so I just think that, while if again might feel like a distant hypothetical it's at least on the cards the idea of I a proper tory right. wipeout yeah and you can imagine like if they only win let's say let's say less seats in the smp i think that's the real threshold mm. yeah and they're no longer the official opposition your funding dries up uh you have to survive somehow five years in the political wilderness yeah, absolutely how does that even work you know and then you're, you're also suspect to all sorts of attacks from other right-wing parties who now see that space opening up and go like you yeah, know why don't we become the new toys you know for, that's how Farage could and then broadly. you start having
0: um defections from the conservative part of senior figures yeah jumping ship because they think they're going to do better yeah. elsewhere
1: and i don't think they have enough like of a backbench base like one of the mm-hmm. things that you could always rely on previously is that they have a whole lot of big beasts waiting in the wings to come and you know recover the party if anything goes wrong but they've purged all of them you know mm-hmm. boris johnson purged a whole load of them filled his cabinet with frankly relatively incompetent goons and then that's what we're left with. I mean, it's quite a third-rate cabinet. You know, yeah. again, that's, that's only by historical standards. There's no personal criticism. So you don't have big beasts in the same way that you used to. So you can't really imagine like a Ken Clark equivalent coming back and going like, "Listen, lads, we've had a bad yeah. bad day here. Don't worry, I'll take over. We'll sort this out." You haven't got anyone like that. I mean, who's going to be the Jacob Rees-Mogg? Well, he's going to come and steady the ship.
0: No, I absolutely agree. I do also love that you've just said that they're all good and said it's nothing personal. Yeah, fair point. Um, (laughs) But but no, I I completely take your point. I I would say that I think it would have been a lot more likely under trust, I think, Sunak. And we've always disagreed on this, but I just think when it comes to election, he's not really, he's not been the leader in an election yet. And I think that there's a chance that he could do better than people expect in an election i don't think that was true of trust so i, I still think you're absolutely right that it's on the cards but yeah. i think that, that the likelihood has, has diminished significantly since he took over yeah I, agree. Uh, I I think you're absolutely right that just because these things haven't happened before doesn't mean they won't happen if you'd have told me six months ago that trust will have been in power for you know 49 days how long she was in um, I wouldn't have believed you. So, yeah, you know, no, strange great. things happen.
1: I think you're right equally in that, obviously, two years out to an election, Sunak hasn't really been tested electorally. Like we don't actually know what could happen. But yeah, I, I guess we're both right. I guess yeah. that's, the, that's the takeaway here. <laughs> yeah, it's a good yeah. good place to end. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we're both right.
0: Uh, keep listening to the podcast. That's a very rare really yeah. <laughs> All right,
1: yeah. Thank you very much, everyone.